to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. A few months ago, we explored the culture of hunting with Stephen Rinella, author of Meat Eater. He asserts, as does Michael Pollan, author of Omnivore's Dilemma and uh, Cooked and other books, that Americans are losing their connection with the way their food finds its way to their tables. Today we're going to explore this idea, connection with our food, from another direction. We're going to be talking about vegetarianism and veganism with a panel of vegetarians and vegans, and at least one former vegetarian, and we'll invite you to respond to some of the following questions. Should we eat meat? Why are you vegetarian or vegan? Or, why do you eat meat? Do you uh, think about where your food comes from? How does this affect your eating decisions? Do you feel a connection to the food you eat? And how do these two cultures, meat eaters and vegetarians, accommodate each other? And what lies in the future? Some of the questions we'll be throwing out to you following the news. Support for Access Utah comes from Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan. Open Monday through Saturday until 2 with a changing menu of a specialty salad, French breakfast pastries with local seasonal fruits, and lunch sandwiches. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. A few months ago, we explored the culture of hunting with Stephen Ranella. You may remember that program. He's author of Meat Eater. And he asserts, as does Michael Pollan, from a sort of a different point of view, author of Omnimore's Dilemma and Cooked, and other books, that Americans are losing their connection with the way their food finds its way to their tables. Ranella says that uh, to be uh, hunting uh, connects us with our humanity. And uh, this is the way we assume responsibility for acquiring the meat that we eat, rather than entrusting it to uh, proxy executioners, processors, packagers, and distributors. And it's one of the most respectful and exhilarating things a meat eater can do. Today we're going to explore this idea, connection to our food, from another direction. We're going to talk uh, about vegetarian and vegan culture with a panel of vegetarians and vegans and a former vegetarian. We're going to invite you to respond to uh, some of the following questions. Should we eat meat at all? Why are you a vegetarian or vegan? Or why do you eat meat? Uh, do you think about where the food, uh, your food comes from? Uh, how does this affect your eating decisions? Do you feel a connection to the food you eat? And uh, how do these two cultures, meat eaters and vegetarians, accommodate each other? and our conflicts likely to increase. How does this affect a future economy? Various uh, questions, and we bring in our panel now, uh, Blair Larson. He's a lecturer in the geology department here at USU and vegetarian. Yes, good morning. And, of course, host of uh, Fresh Folk. That's right. On uh, UPR um, Saturday evenings at 8 o'clock. Put in a plug for it right Thank now. Thank you. Uh, Bill Oblock uh, joins us. Uh, he is a chef, a baker, and uh, owner of Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread in Logan. Uh, thank you for coming in. Good morning. And you've been described to me, Bill, as a former vegetarian. Well, I don't know if that's really true. I mean, I was a vegetarian, and then I stopped being a vegetarian. But I probably, you know, I probably eat, I would say, at least 70% vegetables or a little bit okay. more. Okay, so, yeah. so the, the majority of your diet is, is vegetarian. I think so. Yeah. yeah, okay. And we'll explore this connection with our food. I'm sure you've thought a lot about this as a chef and a, and a baker. So uh, thank yes. you. Yes. Uh -huh. We'll get into that. Uh, Missy Lambert joins us. Um, uh, Logan, Logan resident, Cache Valley resident. Right. I've lived here four years. And uh, vegan. Right. Okay. Um, so the number is 1-800-826-1495. We'd love to get your perspective if you're a vegetarian or vegan or a meat eater. We're thinking about how the uh, food that we eat makes its way to our tables. If we think about that, does that affect the way we eat? Some of the questions we're throwing out to you, 1-800-826-1495. 
or you can join us uh, via email at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at uh, gmail.com. Uh, let's hear a quote from uh, Stephen Ranella. Uh, this is from uh, my interview with him on Axis Utah from several, f- several months ago. At the same time, too, just a flat-out vegan, right? I really don't have anything. I mean, we're never going to change each other's mind. It's like you're not going to change someone's mind who's come to such a, I don't want to say radical, but I mean such like a vehement point in their life where they've really probably weighed out the things. They're probably somewhat educated about their decision, and they just don't want to eat meat. It makes about as much sense to argue with those guys as it does to argue with someone about their religion. You're really Mm -hmm. not going to change their mind Mm -hmm. in a general conversation. And I'll often say, I'll often throw up a flag of truce, and I'll just be like, you know what? You've come to that conclusion. You think it's unethical to kill an animal for human benefit, and and there's really nothing I'm going to say that's going to change your mind about that. So Mm -hmm. we'll just have to agree to go our own ways. You know, and, and and that approach probably maybe it's maybe it's a weak approach, but that approach has spared me a lot of agonizing, drawn out debates that mm. will go nowhere. So I asked Stephen Ronella, this is kind of how this came up. I'll direct this to you, Mr. Lambert, since he talks about discussions with the vegans. Uh, I asked him whether he got into discussions slash fights with vegetarians or vegans at parties and such, and this was sort of his his answer: just agree to disagree. Uh, uh, flat out. Um, but that kind of gets at, at conflict points. And I, I wonder if you have conflicts, polite or not, with uh, with meat eaters. Do you get into these kind of discussions? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an evolving process, though. I mean, I've been, I became a vegetarian for the first time when I was eight years old. Um, I was the only one in my family and really the only one in my community and really the only vegetarian I knew until about college. And so, um, I definitely experienced a lot of conflict when I was younger, mostly just me defending myself constantly um, against people who were convinced that it was unhealthy and convinced that I was making a mistake. Um, And then when I started to, you know, when I went to college and then lived in other places, I grew up in the Salt Lake Valley, when I moved to other places and started to meet a lot of other people, excuse me, with similar ideas. And I started to really deepen my understanding of why I was engaging in this as a practice um, the conversation started to change a little bit. Um, and I didn't, it was really empowering for me to not have to feel like I was on the defensive all the time, not have to feel like I was being attacked all the time. Um, and so I also think the landscape is really different now than it used to be. People are a lot more understanding of why a person might choose not to eat meat and animal products. Um, and usually when people talk to me about it, they're genuinely curious and respectful. Um, I, I just, I do a lot of sort of choosing which approach to take in conversations. So if someone asks a question that I can tell is just designed to stoke conflict, I usually sort of avoid that because I don't feel like that's a very constructive or productive way to talk. But I am able to have really um, interesting and, you know, mutually respectful conversations, even with people that I disagree with. So I do a lot of sort of the way a person's voice sounds when they ask me a question or, you know, whether they make a joke about PETA meaning people for eating tasty animals right off, the, you know, one of those, one of the jokes I've heard a thousand times, <laughs> then I sort of decide how to move forward in that conversation, whether to engage with the substance of what they're asking or to just kind of figure this isn't going to take us anywhere good mm-hmm. and let it go. By the way, I guess that particular joke hasn't made it to the end of the row, so to speak. I've never heard it before, but, <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, so, but it's probably out there widely. So why did, eight years old, why did you become a vegan? Uh, well, I became vegetarian when I was eight. Okay. I, was, I was just 
didn't like the idea of eating animals. I liked animals, and so it didn't make sense to me that I would eat them. <laughs> um, and then I, I, you know, I had a couple of phases when I was 10. I had like a clairvoyant hipster phase where I was a vegetarian except for bacon for a while. And then when I was um, pregnant with my first child, I had I was severely anemic and I got medical advice to start eating meat again, which didn't help my anemia and just made me feel bad. <laughs> um, so I stopped again after that. And then it's just been the last three or four years that I've been transitioning into veganism. Um and it's mostly, you know, the health benefits that I've researched are an added bonus. But for me, it's mostly an ethical choice. It's just I, I think that the United States factory farming system is the most radical food system, like the most radically exploitative and cruel food system in the history of the world. Um, and I don't want to support it. And, um, and, and fundamentally, you know, some of the local alternatives don't work for me just because fundamentally I don't want to eat animals. Hmm. Uh, Blair Larson. Um, why did you become a vegetarian? I guess you probably weren't always. No, I wasn't. Uh, it was in my twenties, uh, and I when I became vegetarian, and and initially I, I probably followed a path that many people typically follow. But I had a friend who was vegetarian, and she was making all these great foods, and, and I'm a great food person, and so I was like, "Wow, you're eating this is fantastic food, and it's vegetarian? What?" <laughs> so then I started looking into the food aspect, and then I started looking into the health aspect, and the environmental aspect, and the animal aspect, and eventually I just said, "You know what? I I like this. This fits with me. This feels like something that resonates with how I am and who I am as a person." And I've been vegetarian for 25 years. Hmm. We'll follow up on some of those reasons you mentioned: environment, ethics. And, and some other things that you probably shared by many uh, vegetarians. I want to bring in uh, Bill O'Block. You describe yourself as sort of 70% yes, uh, uh-huh. vegetarian. Uh, but I imagine as, as a chef, as a baker, you think a lot about, I'm guessing, uh, about the food that uh, gets on your plate. A lot of it is prepared by you, I imagine. Yes, I, yes. When I was in college, I, you know, probably about like everyone else in your 20s, Thinking about your food and source of food, and and it became apparent that vegetarianism was kind of a really interesting way to go. And, you know, you garden, so that really made it easy. And there were some really interesting cookbooks that um, you were able to prepare really good food, so that was exciting. And then kind of when I got into cooking, I was in cooking school, and there was, you know, probably about a year into the program, my chef kind of looked at me one day and just said, well, how can you how can you know how to cook meat dishes if you don't eat it? And that really made a lot of sense to me. And I, you know, grew up eating meat and, you know, didn't dislike it, um, enjoyed it, actually. And so I thought, yeah, let's, I'll try it. So I went back and was trying it, went learning how to make dishes and um, realized that I really enjoyed that aspect of food, you know, more from a food standpoint. Um, and um, that's kind of where I'm at now. I mean, I do look at issues like where your food comes from. That plays an important part of how I choose to get to purchase my meat. But um, it's more of like just tastes, flavors, textures, and from being a chef, you really look at that, and all the palate of the food types are really important, Mm. I think. I want to follow up a little bit with that. You said specifically talking about meat, and it probably applies to other food. Um, thinking about where it comes from uh, plays a part in what, what you select, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you could follow up a little bit, expand on, on that. What, how does that affect your decisions there? Well, you know, philosophically, but also from a, a 
a business standpoint, when I had a restaurant, I really liked the idea of getting my food locally. So I had connections with vegetable growers. And, you know, of course, that would just naturally play into all everything you get from eggs to meat. Um, and so I'd be looking for those things. And there was very little of the, the meat side available in Logan during in those days. Um, but there was. There was a rabbit grower who um, just had excellent rabbit. And, and so I thought, for me, it was more than just kind of a an ethical thing. It was kind of a supporting someone who was doing what they were doing. And if they were doing it kind of in a, quote, ethical way, that fell really nicely into um, my philosophy. And I think if you really look at anything, whether it's vegetables or meat, if it's produced, you know, small with a lot of intent, it's probably going to be pretty good quality. And that's, I think, from a chef's standpoint, is what you're always just looking for because then it makes everything easier mm -hmm. when to make a, a nice dish. Yeah. Uh, that was Bill O'Block. He's uh, owner of Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread in uh, Logan. We're also talking with Blair Larson, who's an instructor in the geology department at USU. She's a vegetarian. Uh, Bill O'Block is... Uh, most of his food is, is vegetarian, says, and uh, Missy Lambert is a vegan. And we're talking about vegetarian and vegan culture. And from the point of view of where does our food come from, do we think about that? And uh, conflict points between vegetarianism and uh, meat-eater culture. We heard a, a, a clip from uh, Stephen Ranella. Uh, upcoming, we're going to hear another clip, and this is from a vegan, and she's uh, with... Mercy for Animals. We heard her on a recent program about the uh, ag gag bill. We're going to take a brief break, and uh, when we come back, we'll hear that clip and get into talking about uh, some potential cultural differences and uh, probe a little further why people become vegetarians and, and vegans or why you're a meat eater. And we're throwing out questions to you. Uh, if you're a vegetarian or vegan, why? What are some of the factors there? If you eat meat, why? Uh, do you think about where your food comes from? Does that affect your eating decisions? Do you feel a connection to the food you eat? And uh, how far do you go? Some vegans, for example, don't use leather or, or eat honey. Uh, and how do these two cultures, meat eaters and vegetarians, accommodate each other? That's a very important question and will become even more important as the numbers of vegetarians and vegans increases in the United States. Some 12 million, I think, is a, is a figure I read from Vegetarian Times from a poll they, they took. So if you take that out of all Americans, it's still a fairly small percentage, but I think it is growing. And you're, Missy Lambert, you're saying you, you see that as well. More on this topic, and we hope to have your uh, comment uh, and response to some of these questions at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and area-info.net, providing a social media outlet for personalized press releases, business news, business events, and opinions. Information at area-info.net. Hey, did you hear your car talk last week? And you expect your, your mother, <laughs> as a novice driver, to drive on the interstate with semis zipping by her on both sides at 80 <laughs> miles an hour. Well, uh, you know. <laughs> I said, no, I mean, I think it's perfectly okay. Uh, I was just asking. Well, is your mother going to leave you a lot of money? <laughs> <laughs> Don't miss the fun this week. Join us for Car Talk. Saturday mornings at 10 on Utah Public Radio. 
Support for Access Utah comes from the Utah Humanities Council, enriching cultural, intellectual, and civic life by providing opportunities for all Utahns to explore life's most engaging questions and the wonders of the human experience. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about vegetarian and vegan culture and our connection with our food on the program today. And uh, we, we heard from Stephen Rinella earlier in the program. He says in, in his book, Meat Eater, that hunting is intimately connected with our humanity and that assuming responsibility for uh, acquiring the meat that we eat rather than entrusting it to proxy executioners, processors, packagers, and distributors is one of the most respectful and exhilarating things a meat eater can do. That's, of course, one point of view, but in a, a similar strain, strain of thought as, uh, as Michael Pollan, who who's talks about our connection with our food in several of his books. In fact, most of his books talk about how we need to be more connected with what we eat. So we're talking about that from the perspective of uh, vegetarian and, and veganism. Uh, Missy Lambert, I, when I described that, I, I kind of had you in mind, Stephen Ranella, and going out and hunting. And uh, some of the descriptions in his book are pretty, <laughs> they're, they're pretty graphic. But he says we need to be connected with whatever we eat. So let's not, let's not you know, throw it off to proxy excuses and, and such. Um, I would, uh, and you were saying before that that is one of the reasons you're a, a vegan. A vegan vegetarian, you you just feel that the whole meat industry is, or a lot of the meat industry is, is verging on unethical. Yeah, I think we have a really really radical food production system, and and I would agree with him that it's important to be connected with what you eat. But I have a different sensibility of the relationships between human and animal humans and animals, and the ideal relationships. And to me, um, violence shouldn't be a component of that. Um, I think the sort of the main philosophical bedrock of vegan practice is the idea that animals are not ours to eat where or experiment upon. Um, the idea that animals are on the earth for their own purposes. Um, they're not just instruments for human appetite um, and that they, you know, should have the, the freedom to live their lives in the way they want to. And one of the things that I most like about veganism um, is the way that it sort of questions these species barriers that we've created, these very, you know, these cultural artifacts. In the United States, we sleep with our dogs and eat pigs, you know, and in different cultures, there's very different sort of norms and taboos around the relationships that humans have with different species. Um, for example, in in some Asian cultures, it's common to eat dogs, which is something that horrifies Americans, but we eat cows, which is something that might horrify a, a practitioner of the Hindu religion. So um, I think it's really important to start to sort of look at <clears throat> where these um, stereotypes about different species come from and the way that it legitimizes cruelty against some animals. Um, so one of the things that is most important to me is to start to ask these questions about, um, you know, why do we think why do we think that some animals are objects of our affection and other animals are objects of our aggression. Why do we think that um, that this is sort of the ideal relationship? So to me, although I think it's really important um, to start to consider where food comes from, I also want to think about where these ideas about human-animal relationships come from and the impacts that they have. Um, you know, in the, in the United States, we slaughter 10 billion animals for food every year. I mean, that's, it's mind-boggling. Globally, it's 50 billion. So, you know, in the United States, it's a fifth of those animals, although those, although those numbers are changing rapidly um, as other countries become more wealthy and start to import American-style factory farming techniques. Um, but it's a really 
extreme sort of relationship that we have with animals. And I want to ask questions about where that comes from and, and whether we can envision a different way of coexisting with animals, um, envision our connections across species lines rather than these, these strict divisions between them. So it sounds like you, you have a problem with the, with the industry, the food industry, with regard to meat in, in general, but it would go beyond that. So even if all of the animals were free range, you know, treated humanely in your viewpoint, uh, you would still not eat meat. I would not. But I, but I think that's a, like a really critical question that people ask as people are starting to find out more about the scope and scale and some of the institutionalized practices of our food production system. They come up against two questions. The first is, do I think it's okay to eat animals that have been mistreated their entire lives? And a lot more people are saying no to that. But after you ask that question, you come up against this other philosophical question, which is, do I think it's okay to eat animals at all? Mm. Um, and that sort of that question, I think, is sort of where like the vegetarian and vegan position is diverging from like the ethical local meat position, is on whether or not, even if an animal, you know, is able to, even if a cow is able to eat grass its whole life and wander in the fields, do I still feel okay about killing the animal so I can eat it, and under what circumstances? Mm. So I think you sort of move through. A series of philosophical questions and obviously people take a lot of different positions on those questions. Mm. We do have a caller but but, but a, a final question on this line of inquiry. Uh, how far do you go as a vegan? There, there are different you know vegetarian, vegan and then within veganism do you do you use leather products uh, you know that sort of thing? Um, I don't I, I mean it's a tricky question because our world is saturated with animal products right like there are probably animal products in the walls of my house so for me veganism isn't necessarily a practice of purity it's just a practice of minimizing harm so um you know I check the labels I try to avoid brands that experiment on animals I don't buy leather um I I sort of try to incorporate this ethics of nonviolence as much as I can with the knowledge that I'm not doing anything pure. Like for me, veganism is a very basic starting point of developing an ethical diet. And it has to move from there into a lot of questions of human rights and globalization and probably mm. outside of the scope right. of right. this program. Yeah, yeah, for a future program, although interesting connections. And that's part of what we're talking about here, interconnectedness and the connection with our food. Uh, let's go to our first caller, who is Chris in Moab. Uh, Chris, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Uh, yeah, um, my comment is is uh, just well. I've been vegetarian for twenty years. Uh, the first three years vegan, and uh, it, it was never uh, that I didn't want to eat cute fuzzy things or or that I thought it was too violent. Uh, I think there's there's crucial flaws in the industrial farming uh, system, and it's inhumane. But I completely agree with hunting, sustainable hunting. Uh, and hunting to to eat food. Um, I was I'm a former Navy SEAL, Gulf War vet, and when I came back from that, I soon became vegetarian, uh, vegan, and and a lot of that was on a level of humanity, not about the other animals, but about humans and what it would take for all of us to have what we need to live, and. Uh, in Iraq and, and just other third world uh, places that I put boots on, it, the inequality in in the the uh, ability to live well was just it, it was it was frustrating coming back to the land of milk and honey, uh, living 
gluttonously large on on food was was never never quite felt right to me again. So uh, one of the first books I read was a, a diet for a small planet, and uh, it really made clear that you know there could be. A, a better equality if if we went to a more sustainable level of, li- of of living, and that is large part about vegetarianism. However, I believe that that hunting is right up that line too in the right areas. That if people hunt, um, and and instead that we can all live a little better worldwide. So I, I just wanted to put that on the table as vegetarian veganism can be very much about humans. Uh, not just about animals, and I'll, I'll take comments off air. Okay, interesting. Thank you, Chris. Uh, glad you called. Thank you. Chris in Moab uh, called us, and you can as well. We're encouraging your uh, response to uh, our investigation, our exploration of vegetarian and vegan culture, especially with regard to our connectedness to uh, what we eat. And Chris is, is talking about interconnectedness among humans, among uh, all species in the world. Blair, you were shaking your head at the book that he referenced. Right. I think most of us, I think a lot of us have read that book. In fact, that's one of the first books I read when I was exploring this 25 years ago, Diet for a Small Planet. And there's been a couple of reiterations of that book. So I think it's still relevant for people to look into if they want. Um, and his point, Chris's point, was all about sustainability. And that's really very true, um, especially the meat industry that we have today, the, the meat consumption. We look at the environmental effects of our meat habit, and it's really ha- it really has deleterious effects on the environment. And we really, I think connectedness, we need to be making a conscious choice or at least an aware choice, being aware of the choice that we're making when we eat and the, and the ramifications of our choices. Mm. I just wanted to follow up before we go to our next caller. We have an email as well with with Missy. Um, you were uh, talking, and, and several of us have talked about uh, problems with, as we see in the, the meat industry at this point. Would you, are, are you okay with a Stephen Ranella going out and hunting? Is that, I mean, for him, it's obviously fine, but uh, does that sort of bother you as well? I mean, I... I... I don't think that every kind of eating meat is equal, right? So I think it depends on on what index we're looking at. Um, You know, whereas factory farming globally is the biggest producer of greenhouse gases and the biggest water polluter in the world and the biggest, you know, source of land use in the world and deforestation, um, hunting obviously doesn't have those particular environmental impacts. So if we're looking at it like on, on, on an environmental scale, it certainly is lower impact and more sustainable in a sense. Um, I still would not do it, and I still feel an ideological sense of opposition to it, but that's stemming from my interest in sort of revisioning these relationships between the species. So depending on which index we're looking at, I am, I am still opposed to it, but I would have to you know, get into a lot more depth about why and in which sense. Mm, interesting. I'd like to make a comment on yes, that go if ahead. I could. It's, it's, here's a way to think about it, um, and I've heard many people uh, talk about it this way. If, you're, if you individually are not willing to do the hunting, to do the killing, and to do the dressing and everything else, if you're not willing to source your meat that way, then a lot of people feel, well, then I have no business eating meat. So if Stephen Ronella is willing to do that, by all means, and, and presumably he sounds like a very ethical hunter, which is great. I mean, I'm happy with, I'm fine with ethical hunters. So if, if, you're, if, if we all had the responsibility of sourcing our own meat, it may change how we view 
our meat. Mm -hmm. And I would guess, for example, if I had to go out and kill my deer (laughs) and gut it and prepare it, uh, I'd I'd be less likely to eat deer, for example. Uh, it might reduce meat consumption. I don't know, but 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 there's a big hunting culture in the West, mm-hmm. in Utah, and uh, and so for a lot of uh, a lot of people, it would be, I guess it would be go along about the about the same. Let's go to our next uh, caller, who's Jennifer in Logan. Jennifer, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Hi, I, I wish I were in Logan sometimes. <laughs> oh, in right in Vernal. Sorry, I've, I've got <laughs> Logan on my brain, no, so you're you know in Vernal. What? My dad is a, an Aggie. And uh, she's going to transfer to Logan, I think, but I'm jealous sometimes. But <clears throat> because you have all these artsy things, you know. <clears throat> uh, but anyway, <laughs> sorry about my throat, but several years ago, I watched the film Avatar. And there was a scene in it. Oh, she's already recognizing what I'm talking about. Um, the idea is uh, if people need the meat, and uh, just a totally random example. There was a lady who, uh, she's like the head of the Cook County whatever's now. She was an alderman in Chicago, Tony. Um, she got a lot of flack from the NRA because she impo- she said we need to impose a $25 tax on every gun purchase in Cook County to pay for the medical care and the burial expenses of all the gun violence. And, of course, people were just up in arms about it, but it's like, how are you going to pay for that? But anyway, when she was, before she became an alderman, she and I lived pretty much, you know, pretty much next door to each other in Chicago, and we swapped babysitting. And she was telling me, her name is Tony Preckwinkle, for what it's worth, you can Google her. She's very liberal-leaning, and she told me that she was a, a vegetarian. I remember their place always smelled like tofu, okay? But when she was pregnant with Kyle, who's probably about seven foot five now, um, she just had to have the protein, and she broke down, and she ate some meat. It was huge for her, but that was the situation, you know what I'm saying? But I think the idea of very rarely eating meat, and I, I wish I could live just like they do in that movie Avatar, which is they're all thin, and they, they, they have a, basically a ritual or a, a service to where they thank the animal, but the truth is we have to kill to survive, and it, whether it's plants or animals or whatever, and there was even a rock group screaming uh, trees. Um, trees hurt when you cut them, you know. Um, so when we build a house with trees, we're hurting them. But these, these things all have some degree of feeling. So I think what's important is to have a reverence and a respect for the living things that you have to consume to stay alive and ideally keep meat to an absolute minimum. You know, but I wish if this lady sounds like she remembers the scene in Avatar, maybe she can, uh, you know, elaborate on it. Okay, we'll we'll ask. Uh, Jennifer and Vernal, I'll I'll get that right. And I can't believe I got that. It doesn't, you know what? I could be, I'm from Southern California. We moved here from Chicago. Gotcha. You can name a town and I've. Uh, and you've lived in it, okay. <laughs> but, right. well, okay, thank you, Jennifer. I can't believe I got that wrong because I grew up in Vernal. So, so yeah, so that, that's that's just bad on me. But thank you, Jennifer, uh, for your call. Uh, April and Logan is up next. We'll ask you to wait just another moment. Uh, April, thank you for being patient because we have an email, which is very apropos to, to what Jennifer was saying. Uh, this is what Garrett in Salt Lake City is saying. Why are plants any different than animals? Why is it more ethical to only eat plants? Shouldn't plants also be allowed to fill their niche in creation? 
how do we know that plants don't feel some of the sort of pain that we uh, haven't been able to recognize? Why draw the line at not eating animals? Wouldn't it be better to treat all living things with respect but eat those things sparingly? Missy, you have a comment. Yeah, I mean, this is an example of a question that I was talking about earlier where where I get it all the time, and sometimes people are asking it to be sort of dismissive and hostile, and sometimes people are asking it in genuine concern. Um, So which I do think it's a question that's deserving of genuine concern. And and I agree that it's not, I, I mean, I'm not convinced that it's possible to live ethically and free of violence in this world, um, which is why I said I'm interested in minimizing it. But if you're truly interested in plant suffering, which which is something that I do think about, the best thing that you can do is stop eating meat because the amount of plants that have to go to produce a pound of meat um, I wish that I had brought the figures with me, but it's something, you know, it's something like, like 10 times the amount of food going to produce a pound of meat. So if you think about the amount of plants that a cow, for example, eats over a lifetime, it's far more than if we had just taken those grains and fed them to people. So Mm -hmm. if you're really concerned about plants and you want to minimize the number of plants you're eating, the best thing that you can do is, is stop eating meat and also eat a variety of plants rather than eating monocrop plants, which are which, you know, damage biodiversity and damage, um, damage fragile ecosystems, um, in order to, you know, most of those monocrops are are then fed to animals in the factory farming industry. So, Hmm. so I think it's a valid question, but I I don't think that the. So your your point is minimizing harm. Right. I mean, if you really want to minimize harm, but you want to minimize harm. Right. Right. Let's go to our next caller, who's April in Logan. April, thanks for being patient. Glad you called. Go ahead with your question. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. Um, I'm a vegetarian because of the health reasons. I think a lot of people overlook the um, health benefits that you can get from being a vegetarian. Uh, I was born with a heart problem, and so I don't eat red meat. Um, I haven't in, you know, 18 years. Um, But I do, you know, I have started to eat chicken again because it's just for the ease of, you know, community in our society. There are a lot of restaurants and stuff that don't have, you know, vegetarian options. But I eat fish because it's healthy, and I think balance is key. You can't, you can't only eat plants all the time. Sometimes you need other kinds of protein, you know. That I'm, I don't know. I think it's healthy, and if you do it right, then it's fine, and it can minimize harm or whatever. But there are also other reasons, not just, you know, decreasing consumption. Mm-hmm. Oh, can I can I follow up just with, with yeah. something you were saying? Uh, so it sounds like if you could get more vegetarian meals at say restaurants and such, you would probably eat a little more vegetarian. Yeah, I mean, I eat ninety percent vegetarian. Mm-hmm. I, one out of every one day, maybe a month, if I go out and I don't have an opportunity to get a vegetarian option, I'll eat chicken. You know, but most of the time, I eat pretty healthily. Just you know, beans and nuts and plants. It's just easier for me, and it's cheaper for me. Hmm. Thank you, April. Appreciate that. Yeah. April called from Logan. You can call from, uh, well, anywhere you're listening to us, toll-free. Well, I, I shouldn't say toll free from Russia or, or Lebanon. We have a, we've had we've had <laughs> listeners there, but but anywhere in the United States, one eight hundred eight two six one four nine five one eight hundred eight two six one four nine five. We get we'd love to get your perspective if you're a vegetarian or vegan, or if you eat meat. And we're talking about our connectedness with uh, with the food we eat and with each other as well. One eight hundred eight two six one four nine five. Or upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. We're going to go to a break uh, briefly. I want to follow up with a couple of points that April made. Uh, first of all, with Blair, maybe. 
she said that you can't go all all plants uh, that that you have to have some some meat and i think that is something that a lot of people think well perhaps actually probably missy is probably better at this one but um it, my understanding is that it, as long as you're eating a varied diet which april did say that you can get the nutrients you need you can get the um, protein, you can get what you need. And you can get that through a plant-based diet. And mm-hmm. it includes, you know, soy products, which are a bean and legumes. And, you know, th- there's proteins in vegetables too. So um, you can get it. You just need a varied diet. That's all. Mm-hmm. It's really not as hard as people think. It really isn't. Okay. Um, I wanted to say one thing that April, or comment on something April said about the availability of vegetarian food in restaurants. It's gotten a lot better than it used to. I mean, even in Logan. I've lived in Logan a long time, and when I first came here, it was a little bit sparse, but it's gotten a lot better. And I wonder if, if Bill, being in the chef industry, is there an overall, or all the chefs around the country kind of embracing vegetarianism and making those an option for their clientele? Um, let's see. I'm not sure how the answer to that. I, mean, I think a lot of them that are kind of real progressive and that are, um, you know, sourcing their, their product are probably real open to that because very likely high percentage of their menu items are vegetarian. So I, I think it just kind of depends on where they are with mm-hmm. their you know their philosophy but, but i definitely think that it's more and more people are offering that especially on big cities in the coast and mm-hmm. west coast east coast and before we go to our next caller bill uh, uh, another follow-up um this idea of accommodating each other and, and i think you know if you throw a party nowadays there's more awareness missy you said that that, that probably most people know to, to to make a vegetarian option uh, available but it's probably not universal and and so I wonder, you know, in, in the industry, it, it, you've run restaurants and now a, a bakery. Um, I guess you have to think about that, don't you? How to how to accommodate all of your customers? I think so, especially vegetarianism and veganism. To some degree, it makes it a little bit more difficult for if you if you don't have experience cooking something that um, takes well requires less choices of ingredients, and especially if you're not ready for it. I mean, if you're running a restaurant and someone comes in and asks for a vegan dinner, you're put on the spot. Uh, you know, probably same way if you had a dinner party and you didn't know the, that someone was going to show up that had that restriction. So um, I, I think if you know about it, it's kind of fun. I mean, like at home, we'd love to try different things and you're just, you know, I think re- running a restaurant is a lot like having guests over at your house. You want to be real you you want to treat them really well and and that would be the same with their dietary restrictions. Hmm. Oh, we did have a caller from uh, Logan, um, Faye, but uh, she she drops. So Faye, call back one eight hundred eight two six one four nine five one eight hundred eight two six one four nine five. If you are vegan or vegetarian, why? If you eat meat, why? Do you think about where your food comes from? How does that affect your eating decisions? And how do these two cultures, I think you call them cultures, meat eaters and vegetarians, how do we accommodate each other? Are conflicts likely to increase? Uh, your uh, answer to these questions, we'd love to have them. We're talking with Blair Larson, Bill O'Block, and Missy Lambert on the program. Another uh, 10 minutes or so left. We'd love to get your perspective at 1-800-826-1495 or upraxis at gmail.com. Back after the break. 
Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Utah Shakespeare Festival presenting Colport Porter's Anything Goes with seven other productions June through October 13th in Cedar City, www.bard.org. Are you an introvert? At least one-third of the people we know are people who prefer listening to speaking and reading to partying. I'm Jim Fleming. Next time on To the Best of Our Knowledge, Susan Cain tells us how much our extroverted culture undervalues introverts and how much we lose by doing so. It's To the Best of Our Knowledge from PRI, Public Radio International. Sunday mornings at 9 on Utah Public Radio. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll follow the reggae beat from Jamaica around the world to Brazil, Spain, Nigeria, India, and beyond. I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join me for Reggae Around the World, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Thanks for staying with us on Access Utah. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and we're talking about vegetarian and vegan culture on the program and our connection with the food that we eat. Um, we're talking with Blair Larson, who is a vegetarian. Uh, she's an instructor in the geology department at USU. Bill O'Block is owner of Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread, and uh, Missy Lambert is a Logan resident and a vegan. And uh, the number to call is 1-800-826-1495. We're asking you, if you're a vegetarian or vegan, why? Um, and uh, do you think about where your food comes from? That's, I think, a large part why a lot of people become vegetarians and vegans, right? Because they've, they've thought through that. It's probably a little less prevalent among people who eat meat. Although there are you know, people like Stephen Rinella who think about it a lot in terms of, of culture. Um, if you're a meat eater, why? And do you think these two cultures will be able to uh, coexist comfortably? We accommodate each other, I think, for the most part, politely. Uh, but as numbers of vegetarians and vegans rise, is, is that going to change? What are some of the economic effects, do you think? A lot of vegetarians and vegans have a problem with the uh, factory um, you know, system uh, for uh, producing meat. And uh, will that have economic effects as, as numbers of vegetarians and vegans increase? Throwing some questions out to you and uh, asking for your response, 1-800-826-1495 or upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. Uh, Bill Oblock, I'm interested. You're sort of maybe in the middle with where a lot of people are. Most of what you eat is vegetarian. We eat, eat some meat. Um, uh, and I wonder... Uh, I wonder if you think that's, uh, let me phrase it this way. You think a lot about the food that you eat, and you prepare the food that you eat. You you follow what uh, Michael Pollan, you know, says we should yeah. do. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't do that. And I wonder if you think that people's choices would change if they if they started doing what, you, what you're doing, thinking a lot about it, preparing their own food. Well, of course. I, I think that's actually happening a lot. Um, um, there are, you know, People on the West Coast are very careful about what they eat. They might have the income to make those choices. That's that's an issue. But um, th- you know, a lot of people will are going to farmers market to buy their food. They're gardening. They're looking for someone's honey that's source close, and it 
becomes a real big issue, and that's what we're calling foodies now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess, you know, globally that's probably a real small percentage, but if you look in kind of just like our culture, it's it's gaining popularity, and mm-hmm. I think that's really pretty great. Mm-hmm. By the way, uh, I've been referencing Michael Pollan. Um, I will have an interview with Michael Pollan on Monday's Access Utah, so uh, with his latest book, Cooked. So look forward to that. Can I say one thing about yes. that? Because I, I went down to Salt Lake and listened to his, um, he gave a talk on his book. And if you haven't looked at that book, it's real interesting because I think it sort of touches what, on what we're talking about, which is really just kind of a love for food, how he discovered a love for food in general, and how he started participating more in that, which is just cooking, which also brings in the sociology um, and I think that's what I see a lot of people really liking is just kind of more of a connection versus going out to like a fast food place or even to a restaurant. Mm. If it's not a great experience and you're just kind of feeding yourself, then I think you kind of lose out on, you know, a big part of what eating in my mind at least is all about is just about a connection with people and enjoyment of something that everyone does. Hmm. We have uh, four callers lined up, so appreciate you calling, and we'll we'll crunch through your calls. Looks like we have a couple of emails as well, so uh, we'll try to get everything in before the end of the program, which is about eight minutes away. Uh, Faye in Logan called back. Glad you called back, Faye. Uh, go ahead with your question or comment. Um, yes, well, I, I actually have a couple of comments. Um, tying into sustainability and the culture, um, with the, you know, the predominant paradigm in Cache Valley and the whole of Utah is still LDS, and I'm hoping that some listeners who have a very spiritual path will also t- take some time for introspection and consider stewardship of the earth, um, because it's one very important thing to the Christian path, um, an element there, um, is that we're supposed to care for the creation that we have, and um, I don't think that um, America, <laughs> as great as we are, we're wonderful, we're a wonderful country, but we're not doing a very good job when it comes to stewardship. I think we're getting better every day, but there's room for improvement. Um, also, something that came to mind when Bill was talking about farmer's markets, um, the Cash Valley Farmer's Market does have an EBT program, so people can take their food stamps and get tokens for fresh produce. And that opens some avenues for people of lower income to have access to this fresh, locally grown, sustainable, and healthy food. Um, another concern that I have is that with um, with veganism and vegetarianism, um, I think uh, something that we also, as people who like eat very little meat or no meat at all, um, and selectively eat meat. Um, it's important for us to also consider where our where our plants are coming from, and this has been touched upon in the show, and I appreciate that. But um, yeah, what um, I can't. One of the panelists said something about um, not eating monoculture food, and I think that's really important as well that we speak out to farmers and our government, and you know the um, the the farmers bureau. Um, and the correlation there to get more diversified um, farms that grow more than one crop and that rotate more 
and we see more food being grown together because uh, the soil biology is there. The nutrients are getting stripped from the soil from growing too much of one thing for a prolonged period of time. And we're going to start seeing food crises, not just because of the rise in oil, but because nutrients are being stripped away and also pesticides and herbicides kill honeybees. Well, and so, well, I'm um, sorry to interrupt you, uh, Faye. Yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, and we'll probably come back and have another program of this. We got, we got colors lined up. We want to get to them, but uh, appreciate yeah, your fine. points. Uh, thank yeah. you, thank you for that. Thank you. And so we'll ask everybody to be uh, somewhat brief. We're running out of time, but we really appreciate the calls. Jen in Logan is up next. Jen, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Hello. H- yes. Go ahead. So uh, yes. So I, um, I actually. Uh, research organic farming systems and sustainable farming systems, and uh, I'm also a vegetarian. And I just wanted to comment that uh, as a vegetarian, I, I know I very much sympathize with and also have an aversion to killing animals for food, but as a scientist, an agricultural scientist, I realize that if we're going to farm sustainably, productively, maybe particularly in the West... Uh, having animals in our system makes that much easier to do. Mm. And uh, um, soil phosphorus, finding available sources of soil phosphorus is um, one reason for that with our high soil pH here that we have. Really, manure is the only source of available phosphorus mm. in high pH soil. So, you know, that, in a way, that's a, a philosophy a philosophical dilemma, you might say, yes. for a vegetarian. Yeah, certainly is. At the same time, I feel, you know, if we're going to integrate animals into farming practices, there's going to be less meat available. And so eating small amounts of meat might be part of a sustainable food system. But, mm. you know, the, the sort of food or the, the large meat industry that we have right now oh, does pre- not fit into that system. Appreciate that. Appreciate those interesting points there. Thank you, Jen. Mm-hmm. Let's go next to uh, Logan Vegan. That's how uh, he or she is uh, describing themselves. Logan Vegan, go ahead. Well, as as your Logan Vegan, um, I I know that everybody who's called is extremely knowledgeable, and you guys know what you're talking about. But it's not touching on why I'm a vegan, and I've been um, vegetarian thirty years and vegan about seven. And, Bill, I would appreciate it if you put some soy milk out on your counter, because I'd be in there drinking coffee okay. instead for, of at Ibis. We do have it in oh, there now. Okay. Well, the, well that's, I haven't been there since you didn't. And, yeah. It's fast service for you. Uh, there's something about the cafe set, and I could throw some cliches around, one of which I didn't hear yet, which is if slaughterhouses had glass walls, you know the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me... For many years, and it comes back to nourishing and cooking and, and you know, denial, too. Uh, I didn't want to become a vegan because I thought it would be a royal pain and I'd have to eat in a, you know, too organic for me way of life. And uh, it is true since I've become a vegan, I've had to learn a whole new way of cooking, but my palate has improved. and. My whole basis for it is I just believe like all we are is where we begin, which is us. And if I have a belief and I stay by my belief, uh, by the way I live my life, 
I'm more in harmony, and I just feel more of a peace in my life, and that's why I do it. Thank and you. I wish, uh, you know, I had, I had the idea of having a, a burger or eating a chicken uh, is... Uh, I hope I'm never in a bad plane crash in the Andes. Mm. So, anyway, well, okay, that's thank all you. I wanted to say. <laughs> thank you, Logan Vegan. Oh, we do have a couple of callers left. We'll try to fit them both in. We'll ask them both to be brief. Uh, Jessamay in St. George, you're up next. Glad you called. Hi, um, thank you. I'll be real quick, and I apologize. I, I got in a little late, so I don't know if this has been addressed yet or not. My question is for anyone on the panel. I've been a vegetarian for eight years, and I'm just in the last couple of months making that transition into becoming vegan. Um, I've only eaten dairy products for probably the last four years, um, no eggs. But I'm also a mother of three. And my question is, um, making that transition from vegetarian to vegan, if anyone on the panel has suggestions, sources, menu ideas that will make this transition a little bit easier for my children as well, since I am the primary cook in the household as well. We'll, uh, we'll, we want to fit our last caller in, but on our website, we'll put some ideas up for you, if, if that's okay. UPR.org. Yes. Look, look for that. Absolutely. Okay, thank, thank you. you. And uh, John in Roosevelt, uh, go ahead with your question or comment. Glad you called. Yes, I just wanted to mention that I, that everything, in a sense, is meat. I mean, everything is, even plants are tiny cell structures, and what we're looking for is the best and healthiest, most nutritious cell structures, and where can that be found? And I found that can be in brewer's yeast and kelp from the sea that are complete single-celled uh, organisms that are, you know, have the whole body in there as opposed to just a little part where we eat a muscle uh, of meat or just a little part of the plant, the leaf, and not the root. So the single-celled uh, uh, you know, life forms, in a sense, are uh, I found are the most nutritious, and I just throw that in. Thank you. Appreciate that, John. And uh, with that, we reach the end of our program. We have a couple of emails. I'll get those on. Um, so Catherine and Marnie apologize for not getting those. I'll get those on uh, at the beginning of the program on Monday. By the way, Michael Pollan with his book Cooked is on on Monday. Sherry Quinn in tomorrow with uh, Science. And uh, thank you very much, our panel. Blair Larson, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Uh, Bill Oblock, thanks so much. Thank you. And uh, Missy Lambert, thanks. Thanks. It was fun. And by the way, as we promised, we'll have some ideas from our guests here on uh, on making that transition to a vegan diet on our website to answer our, our question. Uh, for uh, producer um, Addison Pace, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned. Brian Earl is in with the Zesty Garden next. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1 88.7 Moab, and KUSU FM HD1 91.5 Logan. Mm-hmm.